If Joel Embiid's Game 7 stinker showed anything, it's that Nikola Jokic was always the rightful MVP. Sam Quinn Getty Images I hear all the time that the NBA's MVP is a regular season award. Which is strange, because when so many people ran out of ways to diminish Nikola Jokic's so-called nerd number dominance as a way of elevating Joel Embiid's case, the argument became about the postseason. It was always there. This idea that Jokic somehow isn't the same dominant force in the postseason. It has never met even the baseline standard of a logical argument. Go look at Jokic's postseason performances. And besides that, what, Embiid is some kind of playoff monster? After Embiid's Sixers were blown off the court by the Celtics in Game 7 on Sunday, Philly has now been bounced in the second round for the third straight year and in an increasingly embarrassing fashion, I might add. Jokic, for the record, has now been 2-2 conference finals. Embiid, 0. We blamed Ben Simmons in 2021. Last year, James Harden wasn't healthy. This year, I'm sure Embiid apologists are going to claim he wasn't healthy. Which he wasn't. But that's not the point. This is a pattern now. Embiid doesn't meet the moments on front of him. He went 7 for 24 in Philly's elimination game last year. He went 5 for 18 for 15 points on Sunday. On the defensive end, which is supposed to be the crux of his case as a more valuable player than Jokic, he provided basically zero rim protection and had no chance to guard on the perimeter. He was slow with no lift. He was lethargic. Embiid always looks pretty lethargic, to be fair. But on Sunday, he was truly on a leisure walk. In a Game 7. Now I want to be clear, this is not an attack on Embiid as a great player, which he obviously is. I'm just here to point out what is absolutely obvious to anyone who genuinely watches and has genuinely watched both these guys play, Embiid is not in Jokic's class. He just isn't. When Embiid is going great, it's easy to confuse him for Jokic's equal, if not his superior, just as it's easy to put Damian Lillard in Stephen Curry's class when he's cooking. I've made the mistake myself. And I looked dumb when I did it. Lillard is what Curry used to be. Brad Botkin, at Brad Botkinks, January 2, 2021. I'm not getting fooled again. Embiid, like Lillard, is a Hall of Fame player and worthy MVP candidate. He's just not the MVP. He's not the Curry in this conversation. That's Jokic. The guy who's on-off splits should have told the MVP tale for the third straight year. It bears repeating, the Nuggets were 25 points worse per 100 possessions when Jokic sat this season. That's a statistical way of saying they played like the best team in the league with him pretty much the worst team without him. Over a large sample size, that is what it is. But I'm not even going to make this about advanced numbers. The Nuggets are minus 2.2 per 100 in these playoffs, with Jokic on the floor, per cleaning the glass. Doesn't matter. Small sample. The man just averaged 34.5 points, 13.2 rebounds and 10.3 assists on 59-44-85 shooting splits in eliminating the Suns. 
He was without a doubt the best player in a series that included Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. You see, what the numbers reflect but aren't necessary to understand if you watch the games is this, Jokic is a guaranteed quality shot. For him. Or for a teammate. The Nuggets run their offense through him and it cannot be defended. Cannot. If you single-cover Jokic, he destroys you in the post or with his feathery touch. Double-cover him, and he slices you wide open with his passing. That defensive dilemma is not one Embiid can replicate. You can double-team him, and he will not pick you apart. He's a reliable mid-range shooter but spends too much time on the perimeter. On Sunday, he posted up way too far from from the hoop. At times he's catching the ball just inside the three-point line. When he has to back you down that far, he is susceptible to losing the ball and or his footing, or both, if he doesn't just face up and settle for a jumper. While there is absolutely no way that any defense is holding Jokic, who simply has too many ways to kill you, to 15 points on 18 shots with one assist in an elimination game, or really any game for that matter, Embiid, like his teammate James Harden, is too reliant on drawing fouls to maintain consistent half-court dominance. In the playoffs, it's about which teams gets the better. Easier, more rhythmic shots against set defenses. Jokic guarantees you those shots. Embiid does not. The game, relative to what it looks like with Jokic, looks like a struggle running through Embiid. This has been a problem for the Sixers dating back to the Brett Brown era. They just cannot create consistent good shots in the half court. You saw it all day on Sunday, nothing going on, Embiid backing down or facing up, the shot clock seemingly stuck on six seconds and ticking down as someone tries to create something out of nothing. Brown, they said, wasn't creative enough and he got run. Simmons can't space the floor and he got run. Doc Rivers has long been maligned, I think deservedly so, as an unimaginative, frankly overmatched coach in the playoffs, and he might be gone before long, too. Harden might be done in Philly. Embiid is the franchise pillar guaranteed to be standing next season, and at some point, you have to ask yourself who the common denominator in all these postseason shortcomings is. And having said that, it then is only logical to conclude that the postseason narrative doesn't hold water as it pertains to this Jokic versus Embiid debate. Jokic is better in the regular season. Jokic is better in the postseason. Jokic is better, period. I don't know who needs to hear that. But I just wanted to say it. Watch now. Monty Williams just had one of the best four-year stretches in NBA history to ever result in a firing. He took a team that had missed the playoffs for nearly a decade before his arrival to the NBA Finals in just his second season. He won Coach of the Year in 2022, and the NBA Coaches Association voted him its Coach of the Year in 2021 as well. All told, he went 194-115 to as coach of the Suns and still lost his job. It would be unbelievable if we weren't living in a world in which five of the past seven coaches to reach the NBA Finals had lost their jobs in the past year. But that brave new world offers remarkable opportunities. With so many qualified coaches available, Phoenix could pretty easily pivot into another championship-caliber choice. In fact, doing so might have been their easiest path to internal improvement. 
After all, it was no secret that Williams' relationship with former number one overall pick, DeAndre Ayton, had frayed over the past year. A lateral move in the head coaching slot could prove enormously beneficial if that coach can help Ayton become the player the Suns hoped he would be when they picked him over, Luka Donich. That is part of what makes this job so intriguing. The Suns aren't the bottom dweller they were the last time they needed a head coach. In Kevin Durant, they have a proven finals MVP, and in Ayton and Devin Booker, they seemingly have a future beyond him. This is a team built to compete for titles now and remain competitive indefinitely thereafter. Virtually every top coach on the market will consider the Suns. Here are the six names to watch as they pursue a replacement for Williams. Ty Lu. Ty Lu is currently employed by another NBA team. That team, the Los Angeles Clippers, who just lost to the Suns in the first round, has given no indication that it plans to replace its coach. Lou has publicly pledged his loyalty to LA logically, this conversation should be over. So why has Lou been persistently linked to the Bucks? Why is Mark Stein reporting that the Suns are going to explore the viability of hiring Lou as well? Does the league know something that the rest of us don't? Are the Clippers less committed to their coach than they appear? Only time will tell. Here's what we do know, Lou faced Williams in the playoffs twice and outcoached him in both matchups. Williams emerged the victor in both series, but the Suns were shorthanded in both 2021 and 2023 and managed to keep both of the series competitive. ESPN's Jackie McMillan reported Lou as a name Durant was interested in to lead his Brooklyn Nets in 2020. Lou has won a championship and reached the NBA Finals three times. The Clippers could command compensation from any team trying to hire Lou this offseason due to his current contract. The Suns don't have a first-round pick to offer thanks to the Durant trade. The Clippers don't have to let Lou go at all. But the more his name comes up in these conversations, the less committed he appears to be to the Clippers. Eventually, he's either going to publicly squash the rumors or he's going to land in one of these jobs. Until then? He's a leading candidate. Tom Izzo Tom Izzo has been pursued by NBA teams before. He's even been pursued by Michigan State boosters before, as Cleveland Cavaliers owner Dan Gilbert tried to hire him in 2010. But he's never been chased by one of his own former players at Michigan State. Matt Ishbia, a walk-on for Izzo's 2000 championship team, could appeal to him on a level that his persistent enemy, Gilbert, likely could not. Izzo has given no indication that he is interested in coaching in the NBA, although we could reach here and note that he has attended a couple of Suns games this spring. But let's just say that's a coach supporting a former player. That said, Michigan State has been remarkably average by Izzo's standards over the past several years, and the college game is changing with the proliferation of nil money and the transfer portal. Many of Izzo's old rivals have retired in recent years while expressing discomfort with the new world the sport occupies. If ever there was a time to chase Izzo, it's now. The odds of luring him away from the Spartans are still probably quite low, but Ishbia would surely pay whatever price it takes to get him. If nothing else, he could hold it over Gilbert's head forever. Nick Nurse this is the first candidates list of the 2021 carousel not to start with Nick Nurse. 
The leader of the 2019 NBA champion, Toronto Raptors, Nurse is widely considered to be among the NBA's best tacticians. The Suns struggled to get stops in their loss to the Nuggets, just as they struggled to slow down Luka Doncic and the Mavericks a season ago. Nurse is among the most creative defensive coaches in the NBA. His weaknesses as a half-court schemer on offense would be mitigated by the presence of Durant and Booker. But competition for Nurse will be steep. It's also worth wondering why he didn't land in Houston after months of rumors suggesting that the he was a lock for the Rockets. Was he waiting for another job? Nurse belongs on every contender's list, but his plans, thus far, have remained a mystery. Mike Buttonholzer Ironically, it could be argued that each of the 2021 finalists had the wrong head coach. The Bucks desperately needed a coach who could scheme a late-game offense to overcome Giannis Antetokounmpo's limitations as a half-court scorer. That describes Monty Williams to a T. But the Suns? They don't have to worry about that. They have Durant and Booker to create points in the fourth quarter. What the Suns do need is a coach who can get them high-value shots and scheme a reliable defense. That is Mike Budenholzer. The Suns ranked 17th in three-point attempts and dead last in shots in the restricted area this season. Those are the shots Budenholzer built Milwaukee's offense around, and Ayton could be molded into an ideal fit for his drop coverage scheme. Budenholzer has never been known as a brilliant adjuster in the postseason, but he's so good at building an overall structure that he still managed to win a championship in Milwaukee. He could do the same in Phoenix. Frank Vogel The last of the former championship coaches sitting on the open market, and the one that has thus far generated the least interest on the open market. Vogel is a defensive genius. He strikes the perfect balance between Nurse's creativity and Budenholzer's rigid devotion to specific schemes. He led the Pacers to multiple number one defenses, won a title based on defense for the Lakers, and then earned them the number one defensive ranking a year later despite injuries to Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Like Nurse, Vogel has struggled as a half-court coach on offense, but again, with Booker and Durant in place, that probably doesn't matter. The swing player here is Ayton. Vogel's championship came with a far more talented Davis up front, but Davis and Ayton have more in common than it might appear. Both were number one overall picks that largely preferred not to do the sort of things on offense that centers do. Vogel found the right balance with Davis by allowing him to take jump shots and operate as a power forward for most of the game before forcing him to play as a true center in high-leverage moments. Might he be able to make a similar compromise with Ayton? Kevin Young In this story, we've covered four NBA champions, one collegiate champion, and a 41-year-old assistant? Do not underestimate Young's place in this search. He is widely credited as the architect of Phoenix's devastating pick-and-roll offense, and if the Suns don't hire him, someone else is going to offer him a whole lot of money to come fix their offense instead. Contenders have grown more comfortable hiring assistants in recent years. We can thank Nurse for that, and now, Darvinham has the Lakers eight wins away from the title in his first year in the top job. If nothing else, the Suns will interview Young for the sake of maintaining their relationship with him and hopefully keeping him on the staff for the next coach. 
If he can take advantage of that opportunity, though, the Suns will have the chance to hire one of the NBA's brightest young offensive minds from within their own building.